I don't know about you, but I love stories that have to do with treasure quest kind of thing. So I'll give you an example. There's an ongoing show uh, called The Curse of Oak Island. Do any of you watch that? Um, Pastor Steve and I are fans of that show. At least we have been fans of that show. We're just wondering if they're ever going to find anything. It's just like, come on. And, or, or there's other shows like this. Um, one of them, Josh Gates, Joshua Gates, Expedition Unknown, one of my favorite shows. And, and he's always going after like historical mysteries and trying to solve lost treasure or lost artifacts or trying to solve historical mysteries. And I, I just love that kind of thing. There's something about it. It intrigues me uh, beyond measure. And, you know, some examples, you know, throughout uh, history, and there's even been church history that's included treasure quest type moments, like uh, early in the several centuries after Jesus died on the cross, there was a quest to go and find the cross. And uh, as, as history played out, all of a sudden pieces of the original cross of Jesus started showing up in churches uh, throughout uh, the, the, the world at the time. And until someone started to realize there was enough lumber, if you added it all up together, to build several barns out of it, right? Uh, original pieces of the cross, right? But maybe one of them is, right? And there's that excitement. Or how about this? Finding the original Holy Grail. Where can we find it? Now, there have been many searches for it, and many stories to go along with that, that, that where is the original grail? And of course, that's, there's that original great true story told by Indiana Jones, right? And you remember that scene where he walks across into the cave, and there's the ancient knight who's been guarding the holy grail, and, and then the villain gets there, and, and he interrupts this moment where there's a picture of it I think I have and, you know, the, there's this table filled with all of these different cups. And the question is, which one is the true Holy Grail, right? And do you remember the line? Choose wisely, right? <laughs> and so that's when the villain sweeps in and, of course, grabs this sparkling gold, a jewel-encrusted Goblet saying, this is truly the goblet or the, the holy grail of God. And, and, and that moment of, has he chosen wisely? <laughs> I, I'm not going to show you what happens next because it wasn't good <laughs> at all. But the question is, what does the cup of Jesus look like? And, and does it really matter? I was down in Mexico two weeks ago um, not at an all-inclusive resort, we were on a mission trip and, and, and serving God's people down there and, and just God was opening our eyes along the way. And one of the, the things I found on that trip in a store in Mexico that got my attention and I, I purchased it because I found the Holy Grail. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I did find this cup. And, and I love it because it is, there's nothing perfect about it. Um, it is clearly thrown on a pot, it's, it's, or thrown on a wheel, it's, it's terracotta, it, it's been roughly fired, it, it's got chips out of it, you can even see almost thumbprints in it. I mean, it, it really wasn't very well constructed or well made, and yet I love this thing because it reminds me of what our Savior has come to do. You know, for the history of the church, and there's times in our lives where we're, we're just... 
We're thinking God is founding shiny things and, and, and beautiful things and intricate things and expensive things. That certainly God comes into this world and, and that's how he can be found. And extravagance and luxury and, and fancy buildings and that's where God dwells with his people. If we want to find God, you got to find him in that. And then we come to the scripture <laughs> And we realize that maybe our God comes to us in less than fancy ways. We find out that Jesus calls the disciples, tells them to go prepare a meal. It, it wasn't a surprise to them. It was Passover night. They were, they were Jewish after all. That's what you did. You, you celebrated the Passover. You'd, you'd gather together and, and you would recall the story of God's faithfulness. It would be recited because it would be known from memory and often the, the eldest in the room would, would share this story of how God was faithful to his people who had been enslaved over 430 years. They were longing for better days and God brings rescue. The final night comes where the Passover lamb is killed and the blood of the lamb is, is spread over the doorposts of each and every family that belonged to the Lord. And that night, the, the God told his people, I, I want you to, to eat this meal differently than you would normally eat. You would normally take off your shoes at the door of your home. You would normally be comfortable in your home. A meal would be a long, drawn-out thing, but not this night. He says, eat this meal in haste. Savor the bitter herbs that you'll serve at that meal. And, and so they would. They'd recall the story of tasting those bitter herbs that are a reminder of how terrible slavery had been for them as a people. And, and then as they taste that lamb, this, this lamb that God had commanded, a, a lamb without defect, and the blood that would be shed on, over their home and their doorpost, but then the, the meat that would satisfy their, 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 their hunger. And a God who says, this is the night of the Passover, when I will rescue as my people. And so Jesus called his disciples together. They celebrated the Passover meal. They recalled the faithfulness of God, a God who made a covenant with his people and kept that covenant as he rescued his people, leading them to the promised land. Those were special nights for God's people to recall his faithfulness. And yet this night would be different. The scripture says that on that same night, Jesus would take a cup, a different cup, and we'd hold it up before them. He'd, he'd take a piece of unleavened bread and he'd say, a, a new covenant I give you, a new, a new promise. And this would be different. Jesus then said, take and eat, because this is, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and those connections of, of John the Baptist who time, weeks and months earlier had said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all these theological and historical contexts all coming together, swirling in the minds of the disciples. What is he saying? What is going on? And maybe for us the question is, well, where's the fancy goblet plated with gold? The reality is, in that upper room, no one noticed except those gathered around Jesus. 
Because what he was about to do would surprise all of them. He had come not in fancy ways, but rather as one who would humble himself as a servant, who would not be a victim in going the way of death, but rather would be one who willingly would go that way as a savior who would lay down his life in the brutalest of ways. And he'd do so out of love. What does that say to us tonight? Us who come to God and and attempt to go at it in in fancy ways, saying, Lord, look how dressed up I am tonight. Look look how I've been trying my best to live for you, and and I'm a pretty good person compared to a lot of people. No, you're not. (laughs) None of us are. There's not enough gold in this world to cover our sin. There's not enough fancy jewels in order to, to make it all look okay in the sight of God who sees all things, the motivations of our hearts, our minds. He knows our need. And he knows that if it were up to us to be holy enough or good enough or, or great enough or strong enough to approach God on our own worthiness, none of us would measure up to that because we're not fancy enough. Rather, we need a God who comes to us in an approachable way. And it really isn't about what kind of cup is being used. It's more about the one who comes to fill that cup. The cup of love and mercy and grace. The one who comes near to his people. People who have a troubled past. People who have a a troubled present. People who are longing for mercy and grace. A few weeks ago, one of our mission partners in Detroit, down at Family of God, uh, some of you know uh, Tyler. Tyler is studying to be a pastor. Um, he's one of our preachers tomorrow at, during our, our Traore service. And um, Tyler uh, serves God's people off the street. They have a soup kitchen down at Family of God. And and serve people, they, they share God's word on a regular basis, and worship is part of that too. And three weeks ago, Tyler had shared with me over lunch that uh, a young man was found uh, overdosed on the, on the front steps of the campus. And, and, and Tyler was notified, he, he went out there and found this young man, and he had stopped breathing, he was turning blue. It, it, it was not a good situation. And yet not a, a strange one in that in the neighborhood, this is kind of part of life in the inner city, right? And, and not just inner city, it happens everywhere. And sometimes we just don't hear about it or know about it. Tyler called uh, for someone to go get because they keep in stock there uh, an antidote for overdose. And, and, and as he, he sprayed that nasal spray into uh, this young man's nasal passages as he's holding him in his arms in the front steps of family of God, praise be to God, this, this young man revived and and started breathing again and, and looking around and, and Tyler was walking away with him to talk to him and, and give him encouragement and say, let's get you some help. And, and this young man just started running away. And Tyler was like, I, I, I wanted to share Christ with him. I wanted a chance to minister to this, this young man who clearly was in a broken place. Here we had an opportunity and I didn't have a chance to share more. Last night, that young man came to worship. At Family of God on Wednesdays, because that's a midweek service they have all the time and Holy Week's no exception, but last night 
Just like we heard in the gospel, Jesus, who in the upper room also that night shared a covenant of love where he washed his disciples' feet. Tyler said that they were washing the people of, people's feet of those who came to worship last night. And how amazing it was when this young man came forward and Tyler had a chance to wash his feet, to share the love of Jesus. You see, because washing feet isn't glamorous. It's not. But Jesus didn't come to be glamorous. He came to love people right where they are, in the midst of their addictions, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their troubled past and their unfaithfulness, in the midst of their brokenness, in the pain and, and the overwhelming sense of guilt and shame that we bring here tonight. Folks, we are in a need for a God who comes in humble ways. And praise be to God, it's not a mystery where to find him. He's in his word. He's in the gift of his sacrament tonight, of a God who touches us in a real, personal way to remind you, you matter to God. You are not forgotten. You are not lost. And he certainly isn't. Our quest for true treasure, it's over because our God has come. Praise be to his love in his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being one who humbles yourself to come near to us. To know that we need not seek you in in fancy buildings and fancy objects. But rather, your presence comes to us where your word and your sacrament is found. You are God who keeps promises as you make your covenant of love with us. And renew that covenant here tonight. Lord, we thank you that you are the Lamb of God who is willing as a perfect one to be slain on our behalf, going the way of death. And as we are washed in the blood and the the renewal that comes as a Savior who conquers death for us, knowing where that story goes, we can't wait to race to an empty tomb. And we praise you that you meet us here tonight. Bless us in that. Prepare us in that as we give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.